It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. Right the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got a great one in store today coming up in the uh, third half of our three-hour tour. This is going to be kind of interesting. Um, We just had uh, the author of Gory Details, um, Erica Engelhaupt, on the show um, I think earlier this year, oop, there we go, had a little short in my cable there, um, but she's back in just in time for Halloween. We're going to talk some more about that book she teamed up with uh, National Geographic with uh, for Gory Details, Adventures from the Dark Side of Science, and we'll hear more about those things with Erica in the third half of our three-hour tour. And uh, in the second hour, um, this is fascinating. The book came out about five years ago, um, but a new book came out this last year, the the sequel part of the Wern Saga. And uh, I'm talking about uh, the first book in 2016, A Wizard's Forge, and uh, A Wizard's Sacrifice, I think, is the, uh, is the sequel, from author A.M. Justice. And Amanda will join me by phone during the second hour of our three-hour tour. Um, I had originally scheduled, I, I, I thought we were going to do another uh, 
what you've been up to lately interview with uh, Bible scholar David Heeren, who was on talking about his uh, his book, um, The High Sign, about the second coming of Christ. And he has a new book called End Time Living. And I thought we were going to be talking, but we just didn't connect. So welcome to live radio, folks. But I did have a chance to uh, talk with an educator about teaching change and and how to do that and we're going to um, I guess we're uh, let's see how are we doing on time here well I guess we'll go ahead and uh, get into it with um, author Jose Bowen educator and author I should say about his book teaching change <music> And welcome back, everybody. Um, my guest this hour is the author of the uh, widely acclaimed Teaching Naked, How Moving Technology Out of Your College Classroom Will Improve Student Learning. Um, but he um, he's taught at uh, Stanford University and Georgetown. He was dean of Miami University and, and other places. But he has a new book, and uh, it's it's called Teaching Change. Let me get this uh, full title in. Uh, How to Develop Independent Thinkers Using Relationships, Resilience, and Reflection by Jose Antonio Bowen. And he joins me by phone. Jose, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. It's great to be here. Um, Now, I said your last name right, Bowen, right? You did. Okay. Because I'm terrible with names and everybody knows that. But let me ask you this. Is it teaching change? Or teaching change? Well, it's really about (laughs) both. I mean, the book is on the one hand, it's about the difficulty of teaching change and how education needs to adapt using new cognitive science. Uh, It's about the difficulty of change. It's about what democracy needs. It's about the learning economy and how jobs are changing. Uh, And it's about what I think of as the new three R's, of relationships, resilience, and reflection, and how they can prepare students um, both for that for that unknown economy and help repair democracy. Well, and this is fascinating to me when you talk about teaching change. Um, we hear people clamoring all over the country for change, but then when it comes right down to it, people are very reluctant to change. They are indeed. In fact, kind of the core premise of the book is that uh, change and self-regulation or self-change are both really, really hard, uh, which means that learning something new is hard because there's a difference between um, being able to tell you what you think uh, or remembering some a list of information and being able to think, hmm, that new information might change my assumptions or my behavior. So the irony here is that A lot of people in the world, you know, therapists, financial advisors, insurance companies, fitness coaches, they all understand that we tend to keep doing what we were doing and tend to keep thinking as we were thinking. But teachers are a little unusual, right? We like school so much we're still here. So school worked for us in a kind of a weird way, right? We went to school or especially to college and went, wow, the world opened up. My ideas have changed. Um, it, <laughs> I, I, that's know, not the norm. I, I'm laughing, Jose, because my sister is a school teacher. She just recently retired, and she's taught for many years. 
And then I was like the complete opposite. I, I never went to school and said, boy, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's actually normal, right? Teachers are, are the weird ones. We're, I mean, it's kind of like, think about fitness coaches, right? When you go to the gym and you see some big muscly guy and you think, ah, that guy likes the gym too much. I mean, he does push-ups for fun. How weird is that? <laughs> you know, so when we go to the gym, we want a fitness coach who will inspire us to do push-ups. And a fitness coach knows that it's the person who does the push-ups that gets the benefit, right? So watching my fitness coach do push-ups is actually not that useful, right? And that, that of course, applies to intellectual push-ups. So watching a teacher at the chalkboard is equally not that useful. You know, I can, I can absorb information and give it back to you, but that's not the same thing as learning and changing my mind. Uh, for that, I have to do the work. And so in the same way that fitness coach, you know, fitness coaches look a little bit weird to people who don't like the gym, they look like they like it too much. Teachers, you know, I think, wow, you go to the library like on your own without having someone to force you? That's so weird. You know, that, that's normal. And, and so we have to recognize that in school, teachers are like fitness coaches. I actually think we should re rename them cognitive coaches. Because the real job of a teacher is to set up a situation that will inspire you to do the work, that will motivate you and is designed to, to seem relevant to you so that you think, I have to do these push-ups because I'm going to get that benefit. In the well, same way that a fitness coach says, you know, hey, you want to eat more pie tomorrow? Do a few more push-ups. <laughs> uh, using your fitness uh, coach example, Unfortunately, in, in a lot of public education, um, secondary and post-secondary, it, it, it seems like we're watching the fitness coach write a list of the things that we should do to make our, ourselves excuse me, healthy rather than really encouraging us to do those things. And no, that, that's that's exactly right. And and it's it's really frustrating. You know, I talk to a lot of people who are really fanatical about history. And but they but they talk about history in a very different way than the way we learn it in school, where it's names and dates and places and battles. You know, they they tell the stories of people living in those times. And it's a, a completely different view of what history is. And I, I wonder, and I'm, I'm excited about your book because it talks about changing the way people teach. And I, I think that's important because at the end of the day, um, you can learn everything there is to know about computers today and tomorrow you'll be out of date. That's exactly right. You know, I, I, it's, I say, you know, a computer science degree is like a degree in the iPhone 1. You know, it's four <laughs> years out of date. Right? By the time you graduate, it's out of date. Now, it's still valuable, right? It is useful to know uh, how an iPhone 1 works. But you also have to know how to adapt that information for the iPhone 13 or whatever the 14 or 15 will be that hasn't yet been released. And so the idea that we are preparing students for the unknown, right, and that there will be facts that we cannot teach them because we don't know them yet, that they will encounter, 
And so what we really want to do with education, again, this is how a d- democratic education was set up, is to prepare people to think for themselves, which turns out to be a whole lot harder than we thought it was. And it's a whole lot harder than just stuffing people full of content, right? And saying, well, here's the stuff that we know now that you should know. Yeah, okay, that's pretty easy. But here's what we don't know. And you're going to encounter things that are going to make what I just taught you incorrect. But you are going to encounter things that are going to make, make you have to rethink the assumptions that I just told you were true today. And so, so learning about ambiguity, learning about self-regulation, learning to question yourself, ask better questions, those things are dramatically harder than what we normally do. Jose, at, at the core of it, isn't the best teaching not teaching people what to learn, but how to learn? Oh, no, absolutely. The problem is that there's a, there's a paradox in that, right? It's very hard... You know, I, I, you know I, I started teaching music, and so, you know, as a musician, uh, you know, it's very easy to say, don't do it like that, do it like this, you know, sound like me. And I had to realize that I was really trying to help students find their own voice. But helping you find your own voice is hard, because everything that comes out of my mouth is about me. So even if I'm saying to you, I want to teach you how to think, not what to think, my how is still my how. And so I'm teaching you that there is a correct way to think. And so even if I say to you the content is less important than the process, um, there is a paradox here that it's very hard to develop independent thinkers without also imprinting upon them some of the ways of thinking that the teacher thinks. And that, there's no way to round that. that, that that's like, you know, the Archimedean, I mean, it's, it's a problem that simply we have to acknowledge that in any classroom, students are going to look up to the teacher and are going to model what the teacher does. That's not the same thing as indoctrination. I actually think very, very few teachers get up in the morning and say, I'm going to indoctrinate students to think a certain way. Um, but it does but, happen. But, yet that, but that seems like it's, it's the natural outgrowth of mentoring. It's, it's both the natural outgrowth of mentoring, but it's also an impossible philosophical problem to avoid because in teaching somebody how to think, right, I'm giving you a method. And so that's a specific method. You might have a different method for thinking. And so it's just, it's, it's, you know, I, I do think there are um, better ways. You know, I think the scientific method is inherently about questioning. Uh, I think most people misunderstand science, for example. Again, it's a good, it's a COVID, the, the, the mismessaging of science during COVID is a good example of how our educational system has failed. We value scientists not because they have the right answers, but because they ask the right questions. More about teaching change with educator and author Jose Antonio Bowen. Straight ahead. TheTomSumnerProgram.com TheTomSumnerProgram.com from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about teaching change with educator and author Jose Antonio Bowen, straight ahead. Good scientists are scientists because they say, what might I be wrong about? What do I need to test? Right. So the scientific method is about, let me propose a hypothesis and let me test it. And if it turns out to be wrong, I change my mind and I start something else. So the best way to teach science, or actually anything, is to remind students that we didn't always think this. But instead of saying, here are the facts, write them down, I say, well, here's what we now think, but here is what we used to think, and here's why we used to think that, and here's the evidence that changed our mind. You will encounter evidence that will change your mind, but I teach them the process of the discipline. History, you mentioned history, that's a great example, that here's what we used to think, and then we discovered these documents, or we discovered that, and then we reconsidered that, and now we think maybe that's not true, and so... But all of that is frustrating for students because it's ambiguous, right? Students don't like this. Give me the well, right answer. And, and you know, linking um, our, our impression of, of science and scientists and researchers to the, the recent pandemic and, and some of the misinformation that is making its way around social media and cable television and, and all the places that people gain knowledge or misinformation like like mark twain said if you if you don't read the newspaper you're uninformed and then he said but if you read the newspaper you're misinformed yeah um but but in all seriousness the problem is that that we have a pandemic we have a problem people are scared and they look to people that they believe to be experts. They don't trust government officials. They don't trust elected officials or agency uh, officials. So they look to the scientists for answers. And as you just pointed out, Jose, scientists are always asking the next question. And so when they give a response, they tend to say, well, we think it might be this. And when they equivocate, that does nothing for people that are looking to trust someone's expertise. No, that, that, that's exactly right. The, the very way that science works, works against people's desire to be reassured in a time of crisis. And, and we saw that play out in front of all of us. But, you know, you said something about expertise, which is also interesting, which is that, you know, people are looking for someone to trust. And it actually works a little bit in reverse, right, that human beings or homo sapiens, right, we evolved to be very cooperative, right? The reason that we survived 10,000 years ago as the dominant species was not because we were the fastest runners or the strongest or the largest, um, or even the smartest, maybe, right? There's some evidence that Neanderthals might have been smarter than we were. But we were more cooperative. So when it came to hunting mammoths, which was a primary occupation 10,000 years ago, right, we had an advantage because we could say, hey, hey, Tom, you go over there, you hide in the bushes, and when I come by, you and then Bob, you jump out of the thing, and, and Jerry, you're really good with the spear, so you, right? And so we trusted our people in our group to do their jobs, and that gave us an advantage. But the same evolutionary bias to cooperate also means that we have a bias toward conforming because think about it 
the scientific method of, well, you know, Jerry, I'm not sure you should write. Maybe Bob should throw the spear. No, 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 no. Tom should throw the spear, right? No, no, we're going to get run over. We're going to starve to death. In fact, right, that's also why we get lonely, if you think about it, right? Why do we get lonely? Because loneliness drives us back to the group. And we say, I, should, I shouldn't be out here trying to do this on my own. I should be back, you know, with the other, with the group. <laughs> and, 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 and one of the ways to deal with that uncertainty is to get the group together and, and then see who throws the best spear which is well, sort of the it, scientific method <laughs> it, but but exactly but that's what we didn't that's not what that's not our natural tendency our natural tendency is to say i want to eat i want to live i'm going to listen to tom because tom is in my group and, and right and so and so that conformity bias that if i stay in the group and i listen to what the group says i will survive right the people who decided you know what Ah, nope, nope, I'm not sure Tom is right. I'm going out. Those people starved to death, and we didn't inherit their genes. So we have a, a, a cooperation and a conformity bias that go hand in hand. And so our emotions and who we see, our, our, our social identity, they actually precede what we believe, right? So the way that you put it was, well, you know, we're looking for people to trust. It's like, no, we know who to trust. We trust the people who look like us. We trust the people who think like us. And we have a confirmation bias. And so when someone challenges us, we say, no, 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 you're in the other group. Uh, that's dangerous. And, and so actually, identity precedes the, the way that we think about facts, which is partly why facts t alone typically fail to change minds um, and don't work in, at Thanksgiving or in school, right? So if you want to change your behavior, let's say you want to quit smoking or say you want to you know, drink less, what do you need? You, you don't need new information. You need new friends, right? You need to be hanging out with other people who don't smoke or other people who go to the gym or other people who study more or other people who believe this new thing. So it turns out that for school, this is, this is profoundly important, right? It's for juries, for groups that make decisions, right? The first person who speaks in a jury has extra power, or in any meeting, right? You've all been in a meeting when, you know, Tom raises his hand and says, I think this is ridiculous. And I'm thinking, well, I agree with him. I feel more confident. But if I was thinking, oh, I'm going to disagree with him, I feel less confident. So, so group dynamics, how we socially identify they actually precede what we think, that our, our thinking is determined by who we think we are. So we don't act, we aren't really, by nature, independent thinkers at all. And, and yet we, we think of ourselves as being independent thinkers, even though we may not be. My guest is Jose Antonio Bowen. He is the author of Teaching Change, How to Develop Independent Thinkers Using Relationships, Resilience, and Reflection, or as he puts it, the new three R's. Um, Jose, it, this book, Teaching Change, um, are you, is, is, is this a, uh, a guide to teachers to encourage them to change the way they do what they do or is this something you know what what for example are parents roles in the teaching so and learning little, process yeah it's a little bit of both i mean my my primary audience uh, uh is teachers and and for and there's this the book is full of you know practical suggestions on how to run a better discussion uh how to write better assignments uh those sort of how to engage students emotions uh 
But it's useful, I think, for anybody who cares about school or democracy, anybody who's a parent, uh, anybody who's looking to send their kids to college, especially in terms of what, what to look for. Uh, so I, I really am thinking about both. I think that uh, for, for you know, school boards, people who are thinking, well, what should my kids be learning? Well, it turns out, what you, as you said earlier, what your kids learn is a lot less important than how your kids learn and that your kids learn process. Uh, the first step to being a critical thinker, to changing your mind, or the first step to being an independent thinker, the first step is to become less certain of what you think you know. Right, which is contradictory. Right, we, you know, we think smart people know more than we do. No, smart people. Right, that's because that's how your phone works. Right, you think of it's a smartphone because it knows more than right. It has more information in it. But smart is the ability to change your mind, and so the ability to be smart starts with being less certain. Right, am I really sure about this? What evidence do I have for this? What What do other people think? And where might there be ambiguity or nuance in this? And so smart people actually should appear as less confident, back to what you were saying about scientists, right? As irritating as it may be, right? And you all remember that, <laughs> that, irritating, right? that irritating teacher. You'd ask a question, and the teacher, instead of answering, would say, well, what do you think, Tom? And you'd say, no, just tell me what the answer is, right? It's very irritating, right? Nobody wants to hang out with Socrates, right? We, they, he discovered that the hard way. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> but it's good teaching, right? The, the best way to help somebody really peer into their own mind and to think, am I assumptions right? Should I change my mind? The best way to do that is to ask difficult, uncomfortable questions and again, I like the fitness analogy here because, you know, my yoga teacher says there's a difference between pain and discomfort. You want to find some, dis not don't go to pain, but you want to find some discomfort. And so video game designers also have a term for this. They call this pleasantly frustrating, right? Because if something is too easy, you quit. If something is too hard, you also quit. So the Goldilocks zone is pleasantly frustrating where we feel i haven't quite mastered this yet it's challenging but i'm making progress i can do this i'm getting better and so for teachers it's really important that we build optimism into our teaching because if i feel that i will never be able to do this i'm sure to quit but if it's too easy i also quit there's and that turns out to be really hard to do. There's a great scene in, in one of my favorite television shows of all times, The West Wing, where the chief of staff has just been told that there's a, uh, a presumptive positive case of mad cow disease in the U.S. And, of course, immediately everybody's panicking because they think there are going to be all these beef recalls and so on. And without dropping a beat, he turns to his the members of his staff and he says, we need to get some people in here to teach me about this. Yeah. You know, because he yeah, realized, I really don't know what we're talking about here. I know it could be bad. It, you know, it, it's something that we're going to have to do something about. But I don't know enough about this. Bring somebody in. I need to, you know, I need to have somebody teach me about this. And I thought, what a refreshing attitude, you know, if we all did that, if we came up against something and said, you know, I really don't know all, all that much about this. Well, your question, so I, you know, I do a lot of work with corporate leaders. Uh, you know, I, I do a, a thing on, you know, how to get more innovative 
teams, how to, how to have better meetings. And so when, when people set up a project at work, the first thing to say, well, here are the goals. You know, you have six weeks. I need a better, faster, whatever product. I need you to figure out a way to market this differently. Uh, so go off and do this, and here's how many weeks, and here's the budget, and here are the parameters. Um, so what human beings do is they go to consensus, right? They try to come together on an idea. But the first thing you need to do is diverge. It's like, let's come up with, with quantity, not quality. So the first, my suggestion is that when you, if you want your teams to be more innovative, the first question you should ask them is not, here's what I want, the problem I want you to solve. The first thing is exactly the question you ask. Come back in two weeks and tell me what I don't understand about this problem. Come back in two weeks and educate me as to what, how did I give you the wrong problem? What else do I need to know? What else does the company need to know to better understand why we think this is a problem? That's a much better place to start than go solve this problem why people aren't buying more of our product. And so uh, you're exactly right that the first thing we need to do is to create divergence, and that's true both of classrooms and in the workplace. And it's, again, it's one of the reasons why we now have all of this you know, corporate training uh, to sort of to make up for things that didn't happen in our educational system, which certainly for K through 12 is totally focused on you know, right answers. And, you know, testing of content. Did you learn this? Do you know, you know, what date this happened and what this math problem solution is? Um, rather than uh, what are you uncertain about and how can you make more uncertainty? Well, you know, and, we, and, and, and we, we think that, that the three scariest words in the English language are I don't know. And, and in fact, it's the first thing, you know, I, I you know, I, I work with a medical school. And I, you know, so when I go on rounds with a doctor and I ask a question and the doctor gives me the answer, what have you just taught me? You just taught me, oh, if I want to be a successful doctor, I need to have more answers. And so for teachers, one of my constant, uh, uh, you know, recommendations is say to students, that's a good question. I may have to think about that. Or that's a good question. I don't know. Or if you really want to blow a student's mind, you say, you may have changed my mind because modeling for students, what, what does smart people look like? Right? What does it mean to be smart? And if you look, think about our politics and about the way our world works, most students enter college having never seen an adult change her or his mind. Right. Every time you ask a question, they get an answer. <laughs> I, I was I was just going to admonish you, uh, Jose, for uh, bringing politics up in a conversation about smartness. <laughs> well, but think about it. But in, in I, our, I'm being in facetious, our, in our politics, of course. But in our, of course, but in our politics, we tend to think, you know, if somebody says, I changed my mind about, oh, they, they're wishy-washy, they're a flip-flopper, instead of saying, I admire that person for learning new things and changing their mind in the face of new evidence or new information. But instead, we punish people in politics and in life. And so, you know, your parents, your preacher, your politicians are unlikely to stand up in front of you and say, I think I got that wrong, and you've given me new information, and I'm going to change. And so we need to model that for students, because that, of course, is what we really want citizens to do, right? We want voters to be able to say, I'm going to read this proposition, I'm going to read the evidence and say, oh, this has changed. This, this old legislation is out of date. We need to do something different because we now know something else, uh, and I need to change my mind. And so we just, you know, we don't see a whole lot of that in our world. And so I think the one place we have a chance of seeing it 
is in our classrooms. And so I want teachers to model ambiguity, uncertainty, and especially I want them to model changing their mind. Well, and and uh, Abraham Lincoln was challenged uh, by a journalist about having changed his position on some issue. Lincoln said, uh, well, I like to think I'm a little smarter today than I was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, think of how sad it is to think, well, the smartest I ever was was, you know, 20 years ago when I made that decision or I made up my mind about that. Uh, it is. It, it's, it's an admission that you're not getting smarter. And so, you know, the, one of the things I think about for teachers is I say is our job is to make ourselves obsolete, right? The job is for the student to be able to tell what is true by themselves without having to come right so when you first start school it's like i need to tell you no no that's not true this is true or this is a better way to do that and that or you should cross your t's and dot your i's and two plus two does equal four but eventually what i want is for you to be able to figure out for yourself okay there's a new information there's a new article in the paper some politician has said something do you think it's true how will you be able to determine for yourself if it's true without coming back to me and coming back to school and so for teachers, our real job is to make ourselves obsolete so that students can figure out for themselves whether this, you know, Beethoven sonata is ready for performance or whether this experiment needs to be refined or whether this fact is true. Well, and, and I, in short, we probably need to say I don't know more often, and we've always done it that way a lot less often. Yeah, and the irony is, right, neither, neither, well, this is what I know, or this is the way we've done it, are a problem, but they do reinforce that biology that we talked about, which is that, you know, we are evolved to place a greater faith in what we know, what's called status quo bias, right? A simple version of this is, right, once, if you have a meeting or you have a class session, everybody sits down and then you do it again every day, people go back to the same seats, right? <laughs> Why do you do that? Well, because you're, 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 you're hardwired to think, well, I sat there last week, I'll sit here again. And so we easily fall into patterns of, uh, it's just easier. Uh, you know, your, your brain gets, you know, far more information every second than you can process, right? You, you can process a tiny fraction of all the information that's coming into your brain. So kind of like your email, most of it, you just delete, Right, you don't actually read every word of every email and think carefully. Should I delete this or should I? no? You just get ah, delete, 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 delete. Uh, wait a sec, this looks interesting. Oh, why does it look interesting? Because it appealed to me emotionally. Right, it was about me. It had my oh, it's an article about me. I'm going to read this carefully. Right, so we often underestimate that our emotions are what guide our attention. If you think about the the two words, pay attention. The first word is pay it costs something and the what determines what we pay attention to is actually not reason it's emotion so we have the ability to be rational but in order to be rational we have to get back the first past the first layer which is what matters to me and that's primarily an emotional decision that's not a rational one right is is it worth my time and effort and brain power to think about whether 9.99 and 10 dollars are the same thing is it worth my, you know, rational power to think of this new evidence that contradicts me and to think carefully better to just say, ah, no, 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 no. What I think is okay, I can ignore that. And so mostly we ignore information that we disagree with because it's emotionally painful. And understanding 
that it's the emotion that's driving that is really useful because you can recognize, oh, I didn't actually make a rational decision here in the same way that you don't make a rational decision to go, you know, 29999 is the same as, you know, that car is the same as the, uh, you know, you just, ah, no, it's a little cheaper because if it didn't work, nobody would do it. And, right, that's why gas and cars and everything else is priced with the 99 cents. It's because it works. The human brain doesn't spend the time to think, no, that penny is insignificant, right? And so it's, we're, we're being manipulated, if you like, every single minute by, by advertisers, by the Internet, by other people who understand cognitive science. And so I just want teachers to be just as smart as advertisers are and to use the same cognitive science. And the book is uh, Teaching Change, How to Develop Independent Thinkers Using Relationships, Resilience, and Reflection by Jose Antonio Bowen. Jose, I can't believe how fast our time has gone. I feel like I could talk with you about this all day, but um, let's do this instead. I'll, I'll thank you for spending this time and your thoughts with me and the listeners this morning, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and about you and your work. Obviously, the book is a great place to start, but um, Jose, do you have a website? I do. You can go to josebowen.com, uh, and you can find more information about uh, my other work. I also, on my teachingnaked.com website, which is connected, I give away lots of free material for teachers, uh, things like cognitive wrappers and how to do a better assignment, lots, lots of uh, tips from the book. Uh, I'm on Twitter in the usual places, and, and you can find me. I, luckily for me, I have an unusual name. Well, Jose, thanks so much for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work. I appreciate the time. Thanks so much, Tom. Take care. Bye-bye. Once again, uh, that was Jose Antonio Bowen. He is the author of Teaching Change. Um, let me get the let me grab the book and give you the whole title. Teaching Change: How to Develop Independent Thinkers Using Relationships, Resilience, and Reflection. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. <laughs> Armchair Politics is going to hell. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you are invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, near Pinckney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too. Sumner 
This is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. W.H. Weiscarver, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarver, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Weiscarver, 
Dennis Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Weiscarver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner Program, visit whyscarver.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Thank you. For my first encore, I'd like to turn to a type of song. <laughs> The type of song that people like myself find ourselves subjected to with increasing frequency as time goes on, and that is the college alma mater. You find yourself at a reunion of old grads and old undergrads, and uh, somebody will start croaking out one of these things, and everyone will gradually join in, each in his own key, of course, until the place is just soggy with nostalgia. Well. A typical such song might be called Bright College Days and might go like this. Bright college days, oh carefree days that fly To thee we sing with our glasses raised on high Let's drink a toast as each of us recalls Ivy-covered professors in Ivy-covered halls. Turn on the spigot, pour the beer and swig it, and Gaudiamusigit a tour. Here's two parties we tossed to the games that we lost. We shall claim that we won them someday. To the girls, young and sweet, to the spacious back seat of our roommate's beat-up Chevrolet. <laughs> to the beer and Benzedrine, to the way that the dean tried so hard to be pals with us all. To excuses we fibbed, to the papers we cribbed, from the genius who lived down the hall. To the tables down at Maury's, wherever that may be. <laughs> Let us drink a toast to all we love the best. We will sleep through all the lectures and cheat on the exams, and we'll pass and be forgotten with the rest. Soon we'll be out amid the cold world's strife. Soon we'll be sliding down the razor blade of life. But as we go our sordid separate ways, we shall ne'er forget thee, thou golden college days. Hearts full of youth, hearts full of truth, six parts gin to one part vermouth. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
If the stores are all closed With a word she can get What she came for And she's buying a stairway to heaven There's a sign on the wall But she wants to be sure Cause you know sometimes words have two meanings In a tree by the brook there's a songbird who sings Sometimes all of our thoughts are misgiven And she's buying a stairway to heaven Ooh, it makes me wonder If there's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now It's just a spring clean for the May Queen Yes, there are two paths you can go by But in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on Ooh, it makes me wonder Your head is humming and it won't go In case you don't know The piper's calling you to join him Dear lady, can you hear the wind blow? And did you know Your stairway lies on the whispering wind And as we wind on down the road Our shadows taller than our souls There walks a lady we all know Who shines bright light and wants to know How everything still turns to gold And if you listen very hard The tune will come to you at last When the 
three and one is all in all. To be the rock and not to roll. Program, don't you know? 
Go on! Go on, get out of here! <laughs>